This is day 201 of our daily Bible reading. We will begin the Gospel of John today, chapters 1 through 5. Lord Jesus, as we enter into your Gospel today, may we recognize exactly what John wanted us to recognize, that you are the Word of God, that you are the Son of God, and you are God incarnate. Lord, may this change everything. And this is usually where, Lord, the contentions arise. They're okay with you being a teacher. They're okay with you being a prophet. But to call you God, that is hard for people to understand, and they reject it. But Lord, as your children, we know that you are our Lord and that you are our master. Help us to see that better today and help us to understand what that means for us as your believers. Please bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, 
I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing twenty or thirty gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man first serves the good wine, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went up to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords, and drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, Many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, 
was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, 
and people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. 
but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, 
and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, for having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up into Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the movement of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well, and picked up his pallet and began to walk. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, 
pick up your pallet and walk? They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes them who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. 
He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? All right, so now we are five chapters into the book of John. Now, you probably have already seen a couple of things about John here, that he's very different from the other Gospels that we've already read. Now, the main focal point of his Gospel is to identify and reinforce the deity of Jesus Christ. The other ones had different audiences, but John's specifically is focused on the deity of Christ. Of the four Gospels, this one is my personal favorite, especially when you read what happened here at the beginning of chapter 1. I mean, it just blows the mind. For right here, at the very start of his Gospel, he is showing that Jesus is the Word of God. And not only that, but he is God, and he's the one that created all things. So if you want to take it quite literally, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we see the voice speaking, let there be light, let the waters be separated from the waters, let there be plants, let there be fish in the sea. That was all Jesus. He is the Word of God. He is the spoken Word of God. All things were created by Him, therefore He's the one who spoke everything into existence. Fascinating, right? The light shines in the darkness, in the darkness of the world that we live in, that is full of sin and evil and the darkness did not comprehend it. They did not understand who he was. Right? The Pharisees are a beautiful example of this. They did not understand who he was. Then it talks about John briefly, about John being the testimony of the light that was coming. And then it mentions here that Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, and they did not receive him. How sad that must be, you know? 
how sad it must be that you create all things and you made all humanity and yet humanity rejects you. Anytime I think on that, I feel nothing but sorrow and pity for these people. Not pity for God, because God doesn't need us, right? I don't like that he's being grieved, but I pity us because we're so blind to how much we need God. But not only that, but what we're missing out on in spending time with him. There's so much to God that we don't know and we'll never know because he is infinite. We are finite and he is infinite. We won't be able to learn everything about him, but we should be spending eternity seeking that, getting to know who he is, because he's the greatest subject in all the universe. But then it says here something interesting in verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, the ones that actually did receive him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So, that goes to show, not everyone has the option to be saved in any other way. Just like Jesus is going to say in John chapter 14, that no one comes to the Father except through him, John is reinforcing that right here. That whoever believed in Christ became children of God. So not everyone is God's children. Let's be clear about that. Only the ones that are saved. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is reinforcing God's sovereignty in your salvation, as well as how you had no input into it. It wasn't your choice. It wasn't any activity that caused you to do it. There's nothing special about you that caused you to be saved. God did it all on his own. Then in verse 14, he talks about how the word became flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, He was God, but he was also man at the same time. It is a very difficult thing to explain. He is so unique in that aspect that it's hard to completely describe the incarnation. Because, I mean, he was the God-man, right? He possessed all the attributes of deity, and yet he had all the attributes of humanity, except for the sin. And he will live forever in this way, so... That's one thing that God never did before. He was never a human being until Jesus did it. So that's interesting to think about. And he will always be human moving forward to this point. Remember, there's a trinity. There's two other persons that are spiritual. Jesus himself is spiritual, and he's also human. So it's very mysterious how all this works, but this is the reality of our situation here, and we should take it with gladness. Now we saw that, and it's going to get even more so as we go through John, that his stories are very different from the ones that are in the other three. So we see many different things that, again, are focused primarily upon his deity. And so not only did we see many miracles in the other three synoptic gospels, but you're going to see completely different ones in here. And you're going to see as well that John's gospel has also been called the gospel of the seven signs, because there will be seven particular miracles that John will identify as being seven signs of his deity. For the second half of John, chapter 1, it goes through introducing John the Baptist, as well as how Jesus acquired some of his disciples. He doesn't mention all of them yet, 
but it does mention some of the ones in particular that he did. And then it shows the first sign in chapter 2. It shows when he turned the water into wine. Now let's understand this a little bit better. So at the beginning of chapter 2, it says that his mother, Mary, went to him and said, they don't have any wine. And that's very odd that she would go straight to Jesus for the matter. And But even more, if we don't understand how this works, we would read Jesus' response and be, man, he's being disrespectful. He said, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. So first of all, when it says woman, when we usually think of woman in English, we're, it sounds disrespectful, especially if it's your mother you're talking to. If I were to go to my mom and say, woman, what do you think you're doing? You know, that sounds really rough, right? It sounds really disrespectful, and it would be in English. But in this way, Jesus is not being offensive. He is identifying her as what she is, as a woman. And then he says this, what does that have to do with us? It is a respectful address. It doesn't seem like it in English, but trust me, in the Greek, it is a respectful address. And then his remark is more, you could mean it more like, that is your concern. Leave me out of it. You know, it's not about me right now. Because then he mentions that his hour has not yet come. And he's going to say that a lot. And we saw it also in the other Gospels as well. My hour has not yet come. So what was his hour? The hour was when it was time for him to be arrested and crucified. That is the hour that he came to accomplish. But it had not yet come yet. So he wasn't going to go full on into showing his glory because it wasn't time yet. But he did not disobey his mother. She didn't fully understand probably why he said what he said, but she said, whatever he says, do it. She completely trusted and submitted to her Lord, who is also her son. A very interesting dynamic. Now, it says that when they drew the wine and gave it to the head waiter, he said, you saved the best stuff for the end here. They usually don't do that. Like he said, is usually the good stuff is what they serve at the beginning, but then when you're all drunk, you don't really taste anything anymore, so then you bring the cheap stuff out. But you saved this best stuff for the end. And this is more to symbolize Jesus himself more than anything. God sent his very best at the end here, and it has now come. The Son has arrived. The Messiah is here. And so this was the beginning of the signs that Jesus did, and this is how he manifested his glory. And we see him turning the tables over at the temple, and then there's going to be something he says that they're going to bring back up as the words of accusation to justify his crucifixion. Because for, for one, he said that he was the Son of God, and that was the reason why they said, what else do we need? Let's crucify him right now. But the other thing that caused the conversation to come up like that was when he said this here in verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He wasn't talking about the temple of God. He was talking about the temple of his body. And they didn't understand that. But then you see when they start accusing him, all these false witnesses come forward, 
But then somebody stands up and said, hey, I remember when he said that, that he would raise the temple in three days. And that was the grounds for blasphemy to have him accused and arrested. It's not that he didn't know what he was doing when he said that. He said exactly what he wanted to say, but he also knew that it was all part of the plan. He said it so that it would be brought back up later, so that they would have grounds to accuse him, and he would perform what he came to do. So everything that Jesus did was intentional. And then we see the famous passage about Nicodemus in chapter 3. But this is something that we definitely need to understand well about what Jesus is actually trying to say here. So Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He is what is called part of the Sanhedrin, which are the elite Pharisees. If they were a ruling council, a ruling body, then Nicodemus would be one of the highest leaders of the Jewish community. And according to what Jesus said, he was also known as the teacher of Israel. And so this man had a high reputation, and he came to Jesus at night. So why did he come at night? I can think of a few reasons why. For one, he wanted Jesus one-on-one. He wanted some alone time with Jesus, without distractions, without a crowd nearby, so on and so forth. Uninterrupted time with Jesus. Secondly was, he is a Sanhedrin member, and they hate him for who he is. So he didn't want to get himself in trouble with his own people, secondly. And then third, he wanted time alone with Jesus, not only to have his undivided attention, but also some of the things that he was going to say was would have embarrassed him in front of his peers. And he didn't want to ruin his reputation. So there's a lot of things that we could get out of it that were potential reasons why. But let's just be happy that he did it at all because it is wonderful what he discovered. I can imagine that Nicodemus walked into that conversation with an agenda in mind, of questions to ask, and so on and so forth. But before he even asked a question, Jesus told him what he wanted him to hear. And it was something completely out of left field for Nicodemus. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was so confused. What What do you mean, born again? I can't go back into my mother's womb. You're missing the point, sir. Same reason why all the Pharisees have trouble understanding Jesus is because they're taking the law literally. The letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. And that's why they're having such a, the problems that they have with him. But then Jesus has the compassion to explain to him a bit. We have to understand this properly, too, because this is what separates us from Catholics. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Some people would read this and say, Jesus is saying that two things are required for salvation. One is water, which is baptism, and the other is the Spirit. So, God's anointing of you with the Holy Spirit and baptism are required for your salvation. But that's not what he's talking about. There's a couple of things what baptism is meant to do, and most importantly, what it is is to show what you believe. It is a public confession of what you are believing in. But it is also a demonstration of the anointing and 
circumcision of the heart that the Old Testament talks about that is a sign of what you believe. Because so often people get baptized, but they're not really saved. You know, it's the same thing with the understanding like the Catholic Church does with baptizing uh, an infant. The main problem with that is you do not affect the salvation on someone else's behalf. You can't save somebody for them. They have to have a personal confession of Jesus Christ as well as Jesus works in that particular individual. So it's not you can't save someone else by your own power. It just doesn't work like that. So no, we can't understand it as well, you need to be baptized in order to be saved, because that's not true. Because he goes on to say this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, water is of the flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he talks about wind. Now wind is pneumas in the original Greek, and that word can sometimes be interchangeably used for wind and for spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is also described in this very way. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's completely in God's hands. You don't understand wind. You can't see it. You don't know where it's going. The way that God brings salvation to people is the exact same way. It is not any will of man or any activity of man that saves. It is purely God. And when Nicodemus said that, he freaked out and was like, how can these things be? How is this even possible? And what did Jesus say? You're the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this? This is fundamental in what the Old Testament was teaching you in the Law and the Prophets, sir. And then he says some, something very interesting in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Who is this we and our? Jesus is the only one in the room. Well, remember who else was there at his baptism, who confirmed his baptism. Not only were there other people who witnessed it, but the Holy Spirit came upon him and is indwelling him at this point. The Father opened heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I'm pleased with. The testimony is the Trinity. And they don't believe the testimony of God in all three persons. That's the problem. And if you don't understand earthly things, how can you understand spiritual things? Then in verse 13, he declares himself to be the Son of Man. He declares himself to be the Christ to Nicodemus. And then in verse 14, he reminds us of what Moses did in the wilderness when he lifted up the bronze serpent on the pole, which was a sign of Christ. The pole is to represent the cross, and if you look upon the cross, then you will be saved. And that is to symbolize what Christ did on the cross. Now, the one thing that always bothered me was, if this is supposed to be Christ being on the cross, right, why is it a serpent? Because the serpent in the rest of the Bible, is usually attributed to Satan or to sin. So, it's not a good thing to be a serpent in the Bible. So, why is Jesus referring himself to the bronze serpent? Well, don't forget, he doesn't stay on that cross. He comes off the cross 
and he rises from the dead in three days. Well, you know what stayed on that cross? The sin, the evil of the world, all of it was destroyed and put to shame on that cross. All the things that are against God and that hate God were nailed to that cross, and it shamed them forever. They stayed up there. Death stayed on that cross for those that believe in Christ. But Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He came off the cross, he rose from the dead, and he lives today. Amen, right? Then he says John 3.16, which we all know by heart, hopefully. If we don't know it, we need to know it. So valuable. And it mentions that God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that he might save the world. This time, but the second time Christ comes, he will come to judge the world, just not yet. Then he mentions what the judgment is in verse 19. The light has come into the world. Men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil, and they don't like what Jesus has to say because those that are doing evil are being exposed. The darkness that's within them is being laid bare, and they hate it. Why do you think the evil of this world fights us so hard when we talk about transgenderism, when we talk about there's only one gender? We talk about abortion. We talk about calling out the hypocrisy of this world, and they hate us for it to the point of wanting to kill us. That's because they don't like being exposed for what they are. It's uncomfortable to bring up their sin. That's why our job is so important as Christians. Our job is so important because we need to expose the darkness, and we need to show the light of Christ in the world. The second half of chapter 3 is talking about John the Baptist, and he has some very nice things to say in there. He understood exactly who Jesus was and what he came to do. And we see there's no doubt of that in his mind. But one important thing I, I like that he says, and I use it all the time, is I must decrease so that he may increase. And that's how we need to be in the way that we conduct ourselves. What I want and what I try to do for myself doesn't matter. But what I should be doing is exalting God in all things. It's about him. It's not about me. It has never been about me. I've told myself it has been, but it never has. Then we come to chapter 4. This is a very important verse in verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. He didn't have to. Let's be clear. He didn't have to in terms of geography. There were other ways to get where he needed to go. But he had to because that was God's will. God's will was for him to go into Samaria and do something amazing there. So at first, this Samaritan woman he's dealing with didn't really understand what he was talking about, about this living water. She thought it was just something physical. That you drink this water, you'll never get thirsty again. She didn't quite get that. But then she started understanding more and more when he revealed who he was to her. And through her testimony, many people came and were saved. That needs to be us. What she did is exactly what we are called to do. She ran into the city and told people her testimony of Christ. That is what causes people to pay attention and be saved. We allow God the opportunity to save someone. He doesn't have to do it this way, but he's chosen to do it this way. 
But most important thing here as well, something that he talks to her about in verse 24. Where you worship doesn't matter. Like all these people who pray to Mecca or go to the temple in Jerusalem and try to pray there, that's not what it's about. Verse 24 tells you everything. God is spirit. God is everywhere. He is beyond this physical world. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The spirit is to contrast the materialism of this world, and then the truth is to contrast the lies that this world teaches. So that's how we should be worshiping the Father, in spirit and in truth. That's why you can stop anywhere at any time, get on your knees, or just even to quiet your heart and contemplate on the things of God and enter into his direct presence. You will you'll be able to worship him in spirit and the truth which is found in his word. He has revealed who he is in his word, and that's what we need to focus on. Here's another important thing that he mentions here in verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. The harvest of souls, the harvest of the gospel. He looked upon, you can imagine kind of him being on a hill for this well, and then he's looking down at this hill, down the hill at the city, and you see a crowd of people coming to him. And he's using those as the example for this is the crop that is ready to harvest. We have to plant the word of God in these people, and then we need to reap the rewards of their salvation. This world is ripe for the taking in that way. There is so much of the world that needs to be infiltrated with the gospel. We just need to go out there and do it in obedience to God's word. At the end of chapter 4, you see the second sign that he performed, in which he simply told the man that his son would be healed. And he listened, and he had faith. And as he walked away, it happened. And then he asked, when did exactly did his fever go away? Oh, is that such and such a time? That's exactly when Jesus said it. Oh yeah, that was, he's definitely the Messiah. Then we come to chapter 5, and let's talk about this one briefly. So there's this pool called Bethesda, which we recently just discovered, by the way, in modern-day archaeology. But it says here in brackets, so be very careful with this in the brackets, between verses 3 and 4, it says that the angel of the Lord would, at certain seasons in the pool, stir up the water, and people would get well, whoever touched it first. Whether that's true or not, we don't really know, but that's what was added later into the gospel. So if you don't believe that, it's not going to hurt anything. So then he heals this man who has been sick for a very long time, and then he tells him to pick up his pallet and walk. And the Pharisees get upset. Why are you carrying your pallet? Well, because in their culture, in their tradition, carrying furniture, which apparently a pallet is furniture, was work. And you can't work on the Sabbath. And so... They're like, who told you to do this? Well, I don't know. But then you see Jesus come a second time and say, don't sin anymore, or nothing worse will happen to you, which I don't even know what that means, what worse would happen to him. 
But then the man went away instead of just obeying God. He went and told on him. So you see that this man was not fully invested. But what's unique about this particular miracle here, if you noticed, is this is probably one of the only times in the Bible, if not the only time, that Jesus healed somebody who didn't ask for it. Do you notice that? He didn't ask for it to be healed. He said, do you wish to get well? And the man said, sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. He didn't say yes. He didn't say, yes, I want to be, get well. He, but he healed him anyway. So that's very interesting. I didn't notice that the first time I read it, but now I've noticed that. And then finally, he gives a long discourse here to the Pharisees. And one of the things I liked is that he says here in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these that testify about me. They're talking about me. And I'm here right in front of you. You're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Because you don't know the Father. Like he says in verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, the name of God, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Why? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You hypocrites. That's exactly what he's trying to get at, is you claim to be religious, but you don't even know who God is. You just go by the letters of these laws, and that's it. You don't seek the God who wrote them himself. But guess what? I'm standing right in front of you, and you're not seeing it. And then he says something very cool in verse 45. Don't think that I'm going to accuse you before the Father. The one who's going to accuse you is Moses, because you set your hope on him. You trust in the words of Moses in the first five books of the Bible. But if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. The Messiah, the Christ, he pointed to him in his message. Moses even said at one point, there will be a prophet that comes later that is greater than I, and he is the one that is going to save you. The Messiah. And here he is. He's right there, and they don't see it, because they don't believe in God, really. If you do not believe the writings of Moses, how are you going to believe what I say? And that's the point he's trying to drive home to them, and they never get it. They never get it, because they're so stubborn. And with that, that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.